Hello everyone and welcome to day 7 of our Holy Week bonus episodes. Today we'll be, we will be discussing Saturday. Jesus has been crucified on Friday. Good Friday, he dies at approximately 3 p.m. And then his body is taken. Today we're going to be looking at what occurs with the body before the resurrection. As I've stated before, your days in Jewish calendar begin in the evening and are from sunset to sunset. So in a sense... Friday evening is Saturday, and we will begin in Matthew chapter 27, verse 57, and continue to the end of that chapter with verse 66. When it was evening, there came a rich man from Arimathea named Joseph, who himself had also been a disciple of Jesus. This man went to Pilate and asked for the body of Jesus. Then Pilate ordered it to be given to him. And Joseph took the body and wrapped it in a clean linen cloth and laid it in his own new tomb, which he had hewn out in the rock. And he wrote a large stone against the entrance of the tomb and went away. And Mary Magdalene was there and the other Mary sitting opposite the grave. So curiously, Joseph of Arimathea donates his personal grave, tomb which he had had built at his own expense, for the body of Jesus. And then we see that Mary Magdalene was there and the other Mary sitting opposite the grave. Now, in verse 62 through 66, we're going to see now on the, it's going to begin now on the next day. Again, that is Saturday morning. This is now on the next day, the day after the preparation, the chief priests and the Pharisees gathered together with Pilate and said, Sir, we remember that when he was still alive, that deceiver said, After three days I am to rise again. Therefore, give orders for the grave to be made secure until the third day. Otherwise his disciples may come and steal him away and say to the people, He has risen from the dead, and the last deception will be worse than the first. And Pilate said to them, You have a guard. Go, make it as secure as you know how. And they went and made the grave secure, and along with the guard they set a seal on the stone. We don't have a whole lot of information for this day, other than we know that he was his body was in a grave, and that the Pharisees were concerned that the disciples would come and steal the body and therefore claim he had resurrected because there would be no body in the grave then they could say well we've seen the risen Jesus now we know that what happens is he is actually witnessed by many afterwards so there is proof that he was resurrected but the Pharisees were always were always concerned about appearances so it's kind of ironic what Pilate says to them he says you have a guard so he's giving them Roman soldiers go make it as secure as you know how Make it as secure as you can, possibly do. They went and made the grave secure, and along with the guard, they set a seal on the the stone. Now, there's not a lot I can really say about that, except I once heard a um, a Bible teacher, Chuck Missler, state that he saw in this a bit of uh, sort of irony on the side of uh, Pilate, that Pilate was being uh, facetious, sort of snarky. Yeah, do what you can. In other words, I don't really care. (laughs) <laughs> as far as he was concerned, what if what if Jesus does come back from the grave? He was already, you know, not in a good mood about this whole event. He didn't want to be involved in it. They had forced him, had forced his hand. Now, granted, he he made the final decision. He allowed them to crucify Jesus, but he felt roped into it. And if you do a little study on Pontius Pilate, you'll find that he had a very interesting career while in Judea, and he didn't last much longer either after the death of Jesus. Now, the only other thing to talk about is... If you've ever read the Apostles' Creed, you'll hear that it said, Jesus descended into hell, and then on the third day rose again. Where do we get that Jesus descended into hell upon his death? 
Well, we get that from sort of a, in our English translations, we get the idea of hell because in various translations, particularly of the traditional text, the ecclesiastical text, you have, for instance, the King James, the most famous of all English Bibles, you have the description of all the names for the undead besides heaven called, which is the abode of God, as hell. And the interesting thing about that is that's not how the words were written in the text. Typically, it was what we call Hades, or I've also heard it pronounced Hades, and that probably makes sense from a Greek point of view. James White says Hades. Others, especially Southerners like myself, say Hades, because that's how we were taught growing up. But Hades is the word used here, and it is equivalent in Greek religion, mythology, and thought to being the same as what would be the land of shades, the land of the souls, the land of the dead, uh, the land of shadows. You had the river sticks that entered into... And you had death who rode in a, in a, basically a gondola, you know, escorting souls into the land of the dead. That was one view of it. That is Hades, or Hades. And then it's equivalent when in the Greek text it says that word, that you're saying the same thing as in the Old Testament, where the land is Sheol. And Sheol is the land of the dead, the land of the dead souls. And that was the resting place, the waiting place for God to come and take on the resurrection, those souls. So you have multiple views on what is in what is in view here. Um, I'm just going to read to you from First Peter chapter three. Let me pull this up, beginning in verses eighteen. For Christ also died for sins once for all, the just for the unjust, so that he might bring us to God, having been put to death in the flesh, but made alive in the spirit in which also he went and made proclamation to the spirits, now in prison, who once were disobedient, when the patience of God kept waiting in the days of Noah, during the construction of the ark, in which a few, that is eight persons, were brought safely through the water. Corresponding to that, baptism now saves you, not the removal of dirt from the flesh, but an appeal to God for a good conscience, through the resurrection of Jesus Christ, who is at the right hand of God, having gone into heaven, after angels and authorities and powers had been subjected to him. Remember at the time of the Great Commission, Jesus says, right before he says, go therefore into all the world, okay, he says, all power and authority is given to me in heaven and earth. This is the purpose of the resurrection, that he can not only save souls, but he has been given dominion. He has taken back the keys to death, hell, and the grave. He has destroyed Satan's kingdom on earth and is implementing his own kingdom, the kingdom of God, upon the earth. Now, at some point, the idea that he went into hell becomes, in the vernacular, he did descend into the land of the dead upon his own physical death. Okay, he, he descended there, and he did what? It says he went and made proclamation. It means he preached to the spirits now in prison who once were disobedient when the patience of God kept waiting in the days of Noah. So a lot of theories on what this all means. In, in one group of, of things, you say that he, he went and suffered hell for that short period of time because that was the fulfillment. Once he had suffered the pains of hell after also having suffered in the flesh for us to die a physical death, he had to also suffer in hell as a lost person would suffer for eternity for a short time so that he therefore knows all about our problems, right? And therefore he's now experienced it everything. Since he experienced life on earth, the physical pain and discomfort of being alive, he suffered the humiliation of the beatings and the trial and the torture and the crucifixion and the death, physical death, for our sakes, he also had to experience a form of spiritual death, separation from the Father, 
and entrance into hell and suffering in hell. It doesn't appear, though, from First Peter that you can actually honestly make the claim that he suffered in hell. It says he went there and proclaimed to the spirits. He proclaimed what? His victory. His victory over them, his victory over death, over hell, and over the grave. And what does this all mean? Well, another view is while he was there, he was actually, to those souls that were in prison, he's preaching a sort of victory. It's like a victory lap. This is what you could have had if you had listened, that he's preaching to lost souls from the Old Testament era. Not to give them a chance to repent, but to proclaim their to proclaim their permanent captivity in this place till the final hell, which is a different word for hell there is Gehenna that you'll find in places like Revelation, where you're going to have this idea of the lake of fire, this never-ending place of torture. So this is the temporary hell. Some believe at the center of the earth. And then the permanent hell is Gehenna. So Hades is the shorter version of, of hell. And by the way, we get from the story of the rich man and Lazarus that all of Hades encompassed all of the afterlife because you had the place of Abraham's bosom, the place of rest for the Old Testament souls. And then you had the gulf that exists between it and the place of torment for the lost soul. Uh, I'm not really here to talk about all that today. I just wanted to give you this idea that there's these views on what what was occurring during the time between the death at 3 p.m. on Friday to the resurrection on Sunday morning. You can do a little more research for yourself and look at the various views and see what you think. I leave it up to you, dear listener. So tomorrow is the big day, Easter. So that'll be our last episode, episode 8. Hope you have a blessed day. Take care.